it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the second half of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook. Still, there's a Facebook, right? Can't imagine. Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, you know what? You guys can email me. I'm Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. But I encourage you to follow because I'm, I'm giving away a book today. So you, you might have a chance to win if you follow on social media and, and answer the question. Um, this morning, I'm speaking. I have two wonderful guests. I think they're on the line now. Let's see. Hold on. Good morning. Um, I'm not sure if this is Dr. McGee or Maranike. It is. Good morning, Joy. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. Um, this is Maranike. Hi, Maranike. Thank you so much. I, I didn't want to destroy your name, but thank you so much um, sure. for coming Great on the show you, this Joy morning. Joy and Dr. McGee as well. Yes. Um, so you guys are dealing with this issue that a lot of people have so many misconceptions about. Um, and I guess let's start with Dr. Uh, McGee. What is autism? Uh, just like in a, a small nutshell, if you will. Autism is a developmental condition that is, um, you know, there's no one test for it. But it often involves communications, um, uh, some, some misplaced communications. It sometimes involves behaviors that are repeated often, and and are likely centered around autism. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with in intellectual disability, because those are different um, sets of symptoms. But it's largely sensory communication and relational cues now, that a child. Um, experiences. Now, um, Morenike, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again. Tell me how you say your name again. Sure, Morenike. Morenike. Mm-hmm. So when did you first learn about autism? So the very first time I ever heard of autism was when I was a, 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 a child. Um, my mother worked nights. And so she would record soap operas and watch them, like, on the weekends and stuff like that. And so sometimes I'd watch them with her. And there was a character that had a child that was um, on the autism spectrum, and she had been embezzling um, millions of dollars from her community. And when she was caught by her attorney, she said, it's not that I'm trying to steal things. It's just that I have a daughter. She has autism. She has all these special needs, and I have to put her in this very expensive school. It's the only place that can, can reach her and can help her. And, you know, they had a few episodes where they went to the special school. We saw the little girl who was non-speaking and would draw. And so my, the very first time I ever heard of autism, it was this thing that is so bad that you have to, you know, do whatever it takes, even if it means rob people, to be able to treat the condition. Mm. 
And what did what did you think once you learned about your autism? I realized how misinformed much of the world is about autism, right. um, <laughs> and um, and how there's so many people who are hidden in plain sight because people are only looking for what they see um, or what they expect to see. And um, for me, when my um, my daughter was diagnosed um, as autistic, uh, nearly three, um, my son later on, they're, they're about a year and a half apart, and then myself, I came later. And I remember um, just when, even when it was pointed out to me, oh, she's different, she's different. I remember being confused by people. I'm thinking, I was like that. I was like that. What's, the, what's wrong with that? I understand that. And, um, and so um, understanding what the condition was and how our brains worked was very helpful in, a, in, in so many ways in terms of knowing what to do and, um, and kind of giving ourselves grace and space. But I think the world has seen autism, and I was just so grateful with how Dr. McGee just, um, explained it. It's simply a different type of neurology. There's differences in the way you do things, but differences in bad. But the world will tell you differences in bad, but then the way that they communicate about autism, treat autism, intervene, describe, fundraise, tells you a completely different story. Now, um, Dr. McGee, what, how is it diagnosed, and how early can autism be diagnosed? Um, the earlier, the better. I'll take that question first. And one of the things I just wanted to um, highlight with Marina Kay, with what Marina Kay said, is that a lot of times um, parents um, get diagnosed after children because they grew up experiencing the world differently. And, um, and so, they, so a lot of times the parents are diagnosed with not just autism but other disorders after the children are diagnosed. And so as early as possible, as soon as you start to notice, um, you know, maybe the child doesn't speak as well as their peers, if there's uh, poor eye contact, um, not necessarily responding to his or her name, tuning other people out, not like doing things socially like a social smile, um, you know, so... Um, those kinds of things, as soon as you notice them, have a conversation with your pediatrician. And so how do you diagnose them? There are tests that are performed about language, about sensory um, input, about communication skills um, that are given to sort of put mm -hmm. together the picture along with the parent's picture of what's going on and what's happening in the world, sometimes teachers but there's no one specific test, but there are a series of tests that can be given to a child to sort of help them to understand how they're using language, communicating, social skills, and activities that they're involved in that may, that may occur time in and time out. Um, now, when you're dealing with the child, you see on the TV people, you know, banging their heads against the wall or rocking mm -hmm. themselves, um, um, how does a parent, how do you deal with that, Marinette um, Gay? Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, ask. Marinette Gay, yeah. Marinette so, mm -hmm. Gay. I need to write that out the long way. <laughs> that's okay. So I, I think the very first thing that's important for people to understand is that a lot of the characteristics that we see in autism and ADHD and this, I, this 
you know, type of neurology or that type are things that exist in the greater population, but they exist either to a an extreme that's more, you know, a lot more, you know, like more intense than you'd see in someone else or a lot more frequent. So all human beings stem or have self-stimulatory behaviors um, like autistic people have. Um, but we might do it a lot more frequently or at times that people don't understand or in ways that people don't understand. So I think the most important thing for a person to, for a parent to know is what is a child getting at? What's the purpose of what they're doing? Trying to understand so, and understanding it not from their own perspective as a parent, but from the child's perspective. So is the mm-hmm. child, what is the child doing and what's the purpose? What, are they trying to reduce sensory input? Are they trying to increase sensory input? Are they reacting to something around them? For example, you know, so I realized with my, my son, my little one, my, um, he used to roll on, the, on his back, kind of like um, on the floor and against walls, and then he would also bang his head. He did it slightly. You know, he would do it gently, but sometimes he did it um, roughly. So I realized that, you know, so everybody is different. Does the person have a headache, or is it too loud, or is it too noisy, or is the person frustrated and they, can't, they don't have the words to say what they're saying, you know, or does it not hurt as much? You know, are, are their senses um, either more muted or more heightened. You know, like, so what is the purpose of the stem and what is it solving? Or like, what is it um, achieving? Sometimes stopping it or taking it away is worse. Like if a person's flapping their hands, maybe that feels good. If they're looking at something or seeing something, maybe there's, there's comfort in that. You know, some things may look socially inappropriate, but they are cer- certainly serving a, a good purpose for, the, the, for that individual, just like how someone else might click a pen or, or play with their hair. You know, but if they're doing it to hurt themselves, um, you want to try to find out what, what's creating the anxiety so that you can address that. And then if there's a, um, is there something else that they can do that still brings them some type of stimulation or comfort and joy that isn't going to, you know, be as problematic, like picking out a scab, like pulling hair, like banging one's head. But there's tons of stems. I think um, sensory is very huge for autistic people. And so whether it's a stem that you can see or some that you cannot. Most of us are we're needing to stimulate or in some kind of way, a lot of us, all most of the time. Uh, there's, just, there's just certain ones that you aren't aware of. Right, definitely. Now, Dr. McGee, what is Asperger's? Because you hear that word in relation to autism. So um, Asperger's is, and, and I want to just emphasize what Marina K. said, it's, it, all of this exists on a continuum. So there are people who have less of these behaviors and outcomes, and there are people that, and and so, you know, systematically they're called higher functioning. I don't like the label, so you're going to hear me being very careful about language here. Absolutely. Um, And I don't want to, like, I don't, I definitely will not, you won't hear me use the word like deficits. It's just all about figuring out, as Marina K. said, like, if, are, are they overstimulated? Are they using it to um, organize their world? It, are you throwing too much at them at the same time? And the behavior is indicated that they're, um, if they've been at this task too long. So um, Asperger's was typically uh, used, it's not, no longer used in the code of a diagnostic statistical manual to denote the communication and relational of a, of, of a child. And if there were, um, if they were unable and sometimes had difficulty communicating and, rela- and relating to other people, um, then that was the aspect of autism um, that is called as what well, used to be called Asperger's. Now, under the current DSM or under DSM five, it is called 
all of it is under the umbrella of autism spectrum disorder. Can I, can I give okay. an analogy about Asperger's, if it's okay? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's named after, it was named after Hans Asperger's, and, and it's not utilized, you know, again, in the United States any longer. There used to be what people called childhood disintegrative um, disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Rett's disorder. There was Asperger's. There was um, pervasive development disorder, not otherwise specified. Right. And then there was autistic uh, um, disorder. They're all now autism spectrum disorder, or as I prefer, autism spectrum condition. And an analogy that I like to give is that um, Asperger's was supposed to be basically um, the characteristics of autism without a speech or communication or delay. But it was really given out in- inaccurately in a lot of time. And that's kind of where the, I think the high functioning, low functioning, um, which is very um, you know, stigmatizing and inaccurate came out. Right. So I would say that in the autism world, um, Asperger's was like being high yellow, if we're talking about black community, and maybe PDD and OS was like being a red bone. And then maybe, um, and everything else was, was the range of, of blackness. So it's like, okay, this is, you're this, but you're this much of this. You're perceived this way, or you can pass, or you're a little different. It was almost like a caste system or a hierarchy when it's not supposed to be. There are different ways that people can present. Um, it is a, a spectrum. It's a continuum. But, no, but none of them should be perceived as above the other. Unfortunately, just like society, colorism really does exist in autism. Right. It was the same thing. And there were a lot of parents who would press for an Asperger's diagnosis that was inaccurate. And ultimately, however a person is, um, again, they're not, like as Dr. McGee said, they're not deficits. Um, a person may present differently in certain ways um, at certain times, at certain ages, but um, it is all still the same condition. And better not to have these confusing, um, you know, ways of, you know, as they said um, when they were getting DSM-5, cleaving meatloaf at the joint. Like where is the actual, just where do you draw the line? Right, and and to just sort of piggyback on that is is also everything we're in a case say is absolutely on point, and and really I don't think we've suffered any from classifying all of these uh, uh, behaviors within the system of the general diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. Um, but with the exception, I will say, Marinike, of pervasive developmental delay. Um, yeah. Sometimes because that kind of a is, it, where a person you know, due to, like, birth trauma or something like that, they have, like, legs in a few areas, and that thing diagnostically that I have missed um, yeah. since they changed it all to ask, uh, 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 autism spectrum disorder. Yeah. I Dr. McGee, that. let me ask you, um, why is it that it seems to, in, the, in the writings I've read that more boys have uh, autism than girls? Do they know why? Has anything been discovered about that issue? Um, why people do not know, but there are certain um, childhood disorders because all of these go into the, the the idea of things that present themselves in early childhood, right? Or um, so mm-hmm. there are some of them uh, like the traditional rets and some of the other things are, are more were more prevalent in boys, and I don't think that it's a factor of necessarily that girls are underdiagnosed. I actually do think there might be some gender differences, but having said that, however, there are instances because girls don't have, generally don't present with the many things that bring up behavioral concerns in the classroom, so they tend to be underdiagnosed, um, you know, for for things like uh, ADHD and for things like um, autism. 
because they don't oftentimes are not um, as, you know, their behaviors don't stick out in class and, and, and aren't identifiable in class as much. Does okay. That make sense? Now, I definitely now, agree with that. I think that, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to ask you, because you have um, six children, right? Yes, I do. So how do you balance um, the children that have autism, your energy-wise, having autism and the children that don't? And is there any, I guess, stress? What kind of stress that you might perceive happening with them or with yourselves in trying to deal with autism in the family? Sure. And so I guess that's one misconception, I think, that, well, I mean, again, it varies from person to person. I think that I think we, all of us who are parents can agree that parenting in itself is stressful. It's rewarding and stressful mm-hmm. at the same time. And so I think there's this, there's this impression that autism is so challenging that, it, you know, there's, you know, there's saying, oh, there's mothers who have um, PTSD to the rate of a combat soldier, X amount of divorces, it destroys the lives of this sibling and that sibling. And I really think it's a lot about our perception. Are there mm-hmm. challenges? Absolutely. Are there moments of of joy? Absolutely. But I'd say the same thing about my non-autistic children. I think that it's about the way we frame things, the way the supports that are needed, understanding and doing other things. A lot of times parents and professionals, without knowing it, do things that exacerbate the condition and make it worse as opposed to helping. Um, and then you are, then as a result, you're going to see that spillover in the home. And so I think that what, I think one thing that's important is all people, no matter what your neurology as a parent, you need to have, um, you know, having a support is important, knowing what you need and knowing what your children need. So I um, do not, you know, I, I am not too proud to get help for something. If I need something delivered, but before COVID, I was having groceries delivered to my house. So sometimes it's okay. overwhelming people going to the store. People need to implement things, self-care for themselves and, um, you know, and them, their family to help when things are challenging and to take time and not use the societal time timeline is not the ideal one for every situation, but a lot of it starts in your mind. If you see it as this thing that you're warring with, you're fighting with, it's taking your child away, that's not making them different, then you're already coming at it with an element of a mindset that's going to make things more harder for you and for your child. Dr. McGee, is there a medicine that someone can take to help aid um, in coping with autism and, and, and improving their quality of life? Um, as it depends on the symptoms, or so is there a medication for autism per se? No. Are there mm-hmm. are, are there medications that might help with focus? Who might help with some of the accompanying anxiety? Um, both from the parent perspective, Marina K. Marina K.'s point is well taken here. Um, you know, I do a lot of parenting work um, because I treat children. Right, because in order to treat the parent, I mean, in order to treat the child, you have to know something about the stressors of parenting. So, is there one particular medicine that treats autism? No, but there are things that can help parents and children on their journey, and that can help them um, sort of improve on life trajectory and what they're able to do, and in goal setting. Now, Marina Kay, have you implemented any medications with your children? If so, what, which ones? I mean, I've read about uh, Risperidol, Risperidol, Ritalin, Prozac. Have you used any of those types of medicines to help with your children's autism? So um, I think that it, um, 
So autism usually doesn't travel alone. It usually has a lot right. of other conditions that one will have. Um, you might have, you know, certain, um, there's a lot of information about, you know, gastrointestinal things or um, that children might be predisposed to. Some people seizure disorder. Um, we see things such as ADHD and other things that people, anxiety and other conditions that might um, coexist alongside autism. Um, and so I think that, as Dr. McGee mentioned, if there are things that are going on that medicine can help, like if a person has really debilitating anxiety, you know, if a person's, um, you know, or, or what have you, um, sometimes or has trouble with, you know, fo- focus, um, then medications can be helpful. Um, I personally, as a person who, you know, in addition to being on autism spectrum, I have ADHD, I take medication. I also have some other conditions as well, and it does help me. In terms of children, my thing that I'm very concerned about is that polypharmacy is, is a reality. Um, and, and in this country, a lot of people are too quick to throw med- medication can be helpful when necessary, when appropriate. Mm-hmm. But for, children, for children, and especially children of color, I think people are too quick to throw medication at, at, at individuals without trying to understand what's going on. Is it really that this person is aggressive or is the environment just too overstimulating and triggering? Um, do they need a tool mm-hmm. to learn how to communicate or do they need to learn tools for self-regulation and calming? What, what is really going on? Do they have some kind of um, something going on internally that you don't aware of, a persistent, persistent um, toothache or headache, and that's recreating the problems? Are they stressed out? So what are some things can you do? noise-canceling headphones or stimming devices or timeouts or, you know, things you do things differently that might, you know, help um, reduce some of these symptoms where you wouldn't need a medication. But when a medication is warranted, I definitely think people should take one. But autism is a neurology. It's a type of neurology, so it's not an illness in that you can take a medication for it because it's just like blackness. There's no medication for being black. (laughs) We need a better society that's more understanding and welcoming of being black, but we don't, in in itself, it's not wrong. And they're not medicating. The, they're not medicating the right thing, because that a lot is. of okay. yeah. a lot Absolutely. of the behaviors that you see have to do with trauma, and Absolutely. it may or may not have anything to do with autism. And so Absolutely. when you give, when you see a kid not focusing, and you give them an ADHD medicine, but in fact their their home might be a certain way, or they may be traumatized. Yes. You are in fact making the behaviors often worse. I 100% concur, and I can say that that's the case and anecdotally in so many autistic adults and children that I know um, who are given medications that create more things that they have to deal with rather than addressing what's really going on. Dr. McGee, do you see more African-American children being given medication to deal with autism as opposed to non-African-American children in, in, the, in, in your um, experience? Um, and it, it, that's that's hard to say, but let me just sort of give you some ideas. I think, first of all, you know, children of color are diagnosed later, three years later on yeah. average for black yeah. children. And so, mm-hmm. like, if anything, they're not treated as much, and they're not getting the mm-hmm. uh, special education services um, as, as quickly and, and the same types of services because – we are misdiagnosed as being behavioral problems. Yes, absolutely. In fact, there may be an underlying diagnosis. So yes. um, that that question is, is a nuanced answer in that I don't necessarily see them over-medicated for autism. I see them over-medicated for incorrect diagnoses. Yes. And okay. I also see that, that, that our children are not identified with autism 
early, as early as they could be, and nor are they getting the correct treatment. Including, Absolutely. Now, what is now, Dr. McGee? What is ABA? The this treatment ABA. Americans with Can you explain that to the audience? Act. Right. Um, I believe you're talking about the Americans with Disabilities. Oh no, no, not ABA, um, not D. No, okay. she's talking about the applied oh, behavioral I'm sorry. analysis. She's talking about the behavioral. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't hear you as well. Um, ABA is a behavioral approach that was used. Um, pretty standardly up until um, just recently, and it is now the efficacy and the um, you, you sort of uh, the advisability of using it as applied behavioral analysis is um, is now coming into question. So it's now. I mean, Marina okay. could probably talk to you a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all I know is on every assessment web, every assessment um, community that I'm associated with, it has become, you know, um, way more controversial than it used to be. Yes. So ABA used to be touted as the thing to do if your child was autistic. Yes. Doesn't matter how they're presented, presenting what they're going through. If your child autistic, hurry up and get them in 40 hours minimum of ABA therapy immediately, hit hard, hit early. Um, if you can, implement that stuff at home, too, in the classroom, on the weekends, second mortgage or home if you need to do it. It's the only thing that's going to, quote, unquote, make the child normal. And so ABA mm. has had a lot of different um, – it's basically, you know, um, a, you know, compliance-based behavioral technique. It um, was formed, you know, basically a lot of what was used for conversion therapies and, like, animal training. And there are some aspects of ABA that can be utilized in general for any type of um, intervention or even just in one's home in terms of gathering data, information, tracking. However, mm-hmm. um, as autistic people have been saying for decades from that ABA experience, that the experiences that they had in childhood through today and ignored, finally evident research is backing up what people have been saying. This is not just a, a blanket catch-all treatment for everyone. The efficacy well, because everybody's different. Is, yes. Absolutely. The efficacy over time um, has shown in a lot of, uh, you know, of, of assessments that it's not as, you know, people thought, oh, it teaches skills, it does this and that. We're seeing that from in a lot of data and a lot of research, you know, not just the ones that recently came out from the military, but others, that it's not necessarily having the effect or the impact over the lifespan that, was, that it was thought. And, and, and some people would argue that it is, harmful, that it can be mm-hmm. too restrictive or too rigid, um, um, mm-hmm. and um, that it's not, a, again, it doesn't work for everyone. And I really feel like people shouldn't jump to any one thing. You know, every child is different. Every child is individualized. You wouldn't make the same exact dinner for every single child that you meet. You would find out what they like, yeah. what they don't like, what they're allergic to, and you would um, personalize and you would, try, and you would assess and you would change things. And even that person is different. Therapies that, you know, but, okay, like, let, me, let me stop you for a second. We, we only have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask sure. Dr. McGee, um, some people, um, I've, I've, I've read that the mortality rate might be slightly higher for people with autism. Is that true? Um, if so, why? Um, I, I don't think it has to do any more for, for um, like, an organic reason, if that is the case. But it often, like with ADHD and other things, it comes it, paired with other things, like Marina K said. Um, it often comes sometimes with emotional issues because the parent parent misalignment, or because organically the the child might have some emotional 
misalignments, and that often leads to behaviors that might lead to an early mortality. But I am mm-hmm. not, I can't say that I'm an expert on that, and I'm going to throw that one to Marina Kay. Sure, yeah, because well, we're going to our researchers on that, um, in that go ahead. The, um, the, there's a higher rate of suicidality um, and accidents mm-hmm. in people on the spectrum, regardless of, of, of level of cognition. And um, so some, according, depending on who's, um, who you're reading, there are, we are at higher risk of being a victim of trauma or a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It varies, but I don't think it's necessarily because of autism per se, but because of, again, just all of the things that come along with it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you guys have a wealth of information between you. Um, the, um, Dr. McGee, how can people reach out to you? I know you have your website. Are you on social media? Can you tell, you, tell them your different locations? Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm searchable by my name, Linda McGee, M-C-G-H-E-E, on LinkedIn. I'm at Dr. Linda at drlmcgee.com, email, and I'm available on Instagram at, at Good Mental Health or Dr. Linda McGee. Um, so I'm available on all and Linda McGee on Facebook. So you can reach me at under my name on most social media. <laughs> and uh, Marina Kay, um, tell people where they can reach you. Sure. So if you're looking for me, my website is spelled like my name, which is spelled like more Nike. So M O R E N I K E G O dot com. Um, I'm at Marina Kay Geo on Twitter and so forth. And so I'd be happy to communicate with anyone. Um, I'd really love to share with parents and listeners that there's a book called Sincerely Your Autistic Child that I um, have co-edited recently. It's in libraries as well as for purchase, and it talks a lot about how parents and autistic people can work together and understand and, and um, help children grow. So I'd encourage anyone to take a look, look for that if they're interested in Sincerely Your Autistic Child. Wow. You guys, thank you so much for getting up early Saturday morning and sharing this information I hope that it has been helpful to the listeners um, and maybe they'll share with others. You guys have a great weekend, okay? Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. Okay, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'm glad you had a chance to listen and learn more about autism. Um, If you missed the beginning part of the show, it is archived, and you can listen to it here at Blog Talk Radio, probably about 15 minutes or so, and you can listen on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, uh, iTunes, and you can check out the beginning of the show if you missed it. You can always follow me at Joy Keys or check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Uh, follow the day because I'm going to be giving away a book of Naima Costa. I had her on earlier, so you definitely want to follow so you can have a chance to win. Maybe a nice Mother's Day gift to somebody. You never know. All right, thank you. See you next weekend. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.